This episode of Echoes in the Bones is brought to you by the Institute of Cultural Policy and Innovation, ICPI. ICPI, providing services in business development and coaching. ICPI, leaders in online training in event planning and intellectual property. Visit our website today at www.icpi-ja.com. On this episode, we continue our very engaging conversation with Cleveland Cleavy Brownie, musician, producer, and creative entrepreneur. There are some songs I might have programmed with an amazing drum roll to yeah. just basically show that you can program yeah. and still deliver your thoughts because yeah. it's what you put in, you get out. If you don't put in, or if you put in crap, you're going to get out crap. You know, so basically, um, young lover, cockatiel, yeah. for instance, you hear this rule, you know, that sort of thing. Boops, yeah. for instance, had a rule like that as well. Yeah. It's beyond the ordinary, the prop, pop, you know, there are some that we do that, but yeah. you know, something to draw your attention yeah. but to the music. The, the, the interconnection of the music is amazing because as you talk about books, you know that beat. Boom, 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 boom. That was copied by KRS One and, oh, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, in their song called uh, The Bridge is Over. Mm -hmm. you, you remember that? Yes, and, yes. Basically, yes. KRS One was a set, Lord of Mercy, and it was basically almost like a, 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 a Jamaican style yeah. rapping. And yeah, we were inspiring the, yeah. the U.S. market at that time. Yeah. And so, so that's why I said, when, when, when there's an argument to suggest that, you know, what, what, what we're doing is hip-hop or imitating hip-hop or hip-hop is foreign to us. I, and then some people say we invent hip-hop and all kind of different narratives. Yeah. I'm saying the music is, again, the, the retention will come from Africa. It come over to the Caribbean and it go up straight up to the North America. And then the interaction with us as migrants and yes. going to New York with like 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 Cool Herc and influencing yeah. the music. We always influence each other. So yeah, that's so true. Music. That's so true. And you find that um, a lot of the rappers in the US have yeah. artists, not just rappers, have yeah. some Jamaican ancestry. Absolutely. So yeah. what is the first big hit for Steely and Cleavy as Steely and Cleavy Limited? The first big hit, when you say big hit, I look to the measuring stick being billboard charts. At the time, that's what everybody was using. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been Foxy Brown, Baby Can I Hold It Tonight. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. So that was the, that went British charts. But unfortunately, I think Foxy Brown really blew a, an amazing opportunity. Yeah. During that time, she got a visa to travel to mm -hmm. the US. I don't know if I should say this on this program, but yeah. we know what the song, was, the song was taking off at the time. Yeah. And Billboard called us, many entities called us wanting an interview with her and pictures. She went off to the States and stayed. Let's yeah. put it that way. She stayed over yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and was not available to deliver the, the promotional work, not even a video yeah. to promote the song. 
So it went on the Billboard charts with a bullet. Those days they used to put a bullet beside a song that is potentially a big hit yeah. and shows that it's moving fast. It went into the top uh, 50 and nothing to promote it. And it just fell off from there when it was moving with a bullet. All the calls I got, no Foxy Brown was available. No Foxy Brown. And that was the end of that? That was the end of that. Because we wanted to do an album with her after. Yeah. Oh, Foxy Brown. Yeah. She, I believe she could have been one of Jamaica's biggest artists today. I, if she I, never blew I would that agree with that. I would agree with that. With it wasn't just happy. It would have oh, been I believe she was a very talented singer. Yeah. Very talented. Her tone was quite commercial. Her attitude was one that um, uh, had charisma to it, a yeah. winning attitude. Yeah. But her choice to have stayed in the US was a bad one. Yeah. Listen, we're talking about artists. A lot of people don't know that you and, and, and Steely were responsible for the switch from a DJ to a singer with, with Garnet Silk. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, that is, and, and that is you guys who named him. I think it was, was, was Steele who gave him the name. Yes. So tell yes. us about that. Yeah. Um, Garnet used to come to the studio and had to be running back to um, Manchester. Yeah. Every evening after leave out earlier than we wanted to work to. So we said to him, um, let's try to arrange something that will allow for us to be able to work without watching the clock and without watching, you know, the, the, the bus that you have to take. Um, so we moved them to Kingston. You know, we, we, we actually moved them to Kingston and paid for his accommodation in Kingston. And, um, you know, we found that he was a much better singer than a DJ. I felt that he could make it as a singer, more so than a DJ. But at the same time, it was Tony Rebel. Tony Rebel was a singer and Garnet was the DJ. Both of them switched yeah. <laughs> where Tony Rebel became a DJ. Yeah. And, you know, of course, um, you know, Rebel also came to us at that same time and we did recordings together. Reggae put Jamaica on top and all those songs, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and um, Garnet, though, we found that he needed an image, he needed a name. Mm. Because we asked him, what do you want to um, be known as? And he said, yeah, Garnet Smith. I said, Garnet Smith not really sound like a winning name. And Steely was great with names. Yeah. You know? So Steely said, you know, you have a silkiness in your tone, an underlying silkiness in your voice. Although it can be hard at times, but you hear that, that kind of breathiness. Yeah. So I'm saying, you know what? I believe you should be called Garnet Silk. And Lloyd Stanberry was in the room. We were actually at Lloyd's office because we signed Garnet to Steely and Cleavey. But we allowed Bobby Digital to record him at the time. Because we said, look, we want you to remain in a camp where we don't move you 10 paces forward and you end up doing a bad recording and mm. move 20 back. That's not productive. You know, so 
let us limit who you can work with. So say you can work with Bobby Digital mm -hmm. because we were also making his rhythms as well. Yeah. You know, you'd get good tracks and, um, you know, some good outcomes from whatever, you know, was done. Yeah. So I accepted the name. Lloyd said, whoa, yeah, that name is awesome. And Garnet said, yes, yes. Then sometime after he came by my home yeah. and said, Stevie, why do you think about me going dreadlocks? <laughs> growing, growing locks. And at first... I tried to picture it, you know, and wasn't quite seeing it. But I say, if that's where your conviction is, you know, in do what you have to do, you know, Nazarite vow, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I look realistically at those things. Not somebody, I, I wouldn't want an artist who's not a real bad man to do a bad man song. Yeah. So we talk about some artists on your break, like we start with Foxy Brown, definitely. You created that sensation. And start off with 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 with, with um, Garnet Silk. Bushman yeah. is another one. Yeah, Bushman was one who also um, he was called Junior Buckley. Yeah, I would say, boy, the level we want to take you to, you can't be a junior to another artist forever. Let's find a name for you. But yeah. another anecdote here is that I was building my house at the time, and Three of my workmen came to me one day and said, boss, you know, we can't sing, you know? And I said, let me hear, you know? And when the guys opened their mouths, and you know, then it never sounded so bad, mm. but they had missing teeth and their <laughs> appearance wasn't like yeah. an appearance that would warrant success right away. Yeah. So I said, what do you call yourselves? And they came up with this name that sounded like a pink lace society name. <laughs> like they would say the Sherrells or something like that. Yeah. For how they looked, yeah. their appearance wasn't, you know, um, fitting for that kind of name. Someone said, no, man, no, you can't name so. Let me call you Bushman. You know? So you are a set of Bushmen then. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, boss, we can't. No, man, them name, we can't do them name. They want to name Sherrells. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a group called the Sherrells before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I said, no, man, you can't use that name. So that was the end of that story. I said, no, can't record you. Because you have to fit how you look. You look yeah. like a Bushman. Yeah. Not belittling them, but the reality, I wanted to bring that to no, them. Bushman so Bushman. So Bushman, now, Steely came to the studio with Bushman. Mm -hmm. I said, please listen to you, you can sing. When I listen to him, yeah, grow your naughty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, uh, say, yeah, have a sound. But I agreed that we didn't want to keep the name Junior Buckley. So we went through a number of names in the studio that day. And none of them connected. And I said, you know, I had a name for a group. Maybe I could use that name. What do you think about Bushman? And Steely and Bushman look at each other and say, yeah, it sounds away. They like it. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me some other artists where, 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 where. Well, we, we named we named the Natty King. Oh. Because yeah. I had it in mind to find an artist who had a, a um like a was the answer, Jamaican answer to a Nat King Cole, for instance. Yeah. But I wanted a dreadlocks artist to call Natty King Cole. Yeah. You know, and Steely, when he came to us, Steele said, No man, call him Natty King. Not the cool, yeah. not the king, and that was the birth of that name. 
Dawn Penn, although she was an artist at Studio One, yeah, I believe our rendition of No 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 made her household name. When All right, so tell us about that project. All right, um, it was the year when Studio One celebrated. I think it was their twenty fifth anniversary. I think, and a number of the artists that you had not seen for some time were all in Kingston for the show. Yeah. It was at the National Arena. Arena, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, one day we were at Mixing Lab and heard that a lady was at the gate. The gate man didn't know who it was. So I went out there and this lady said she had a tape to sell. So I didn't rec recognize her at the time. Yeah. You know? And um, asked her her name because I wanted to know where she got that tape from. Was it a tape taken from somebody else? And she said, no, no, she's done, Penn. And, and that name, boy, I tell you, I had to fly the gate immediately <laughs> because I had it in mind to re-record that song. That was one of my favorite Studio yeah. One songs. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. When I went in the studio and told Steely, Don Penn was out there. I mean, of course, there was a time when Steely was more into DJs mm -hmm. and the studio was filled with DJs and Steely yeah. was focusing on singers. I was more the one who focused on singers. I recorded most of Garnet Silk songs and um, the singers in general that went through Steely and Cleaver Camp. And um, I arranged the backing vocals, things like that, and sang on a number of them. You know, I'm also a vocalist. Mm -hmm. um, so Steely said, what? You know that um, I also had, had wanted to record that song, that rhythm. But make we do this then, bring her in. So I asked her, what was on the tape? And she said she had some songs on it. And I said, no, don't, do not sell your tape. Work that's already done, you might have regrets. We're not going to take your tape and erase it. Keep the tape. But it seemed as if she was in need of some money at the time. So I said, all right, let us record you and give you some advance, which we did. Uh, this, um, unlike some stories I've heard out there that she might have said that she never got any, that's not true. I mean, we kept check stubs and, and you know, I have check stubs with garnet silk sign and you know, things like that over the years. Um, yeah. I kept them for many years, of course, but I don't know, I might have discarded them now because that's long ago. <laughs> but you know, we, we um, learned from Lightstand very well to keep records, which we did. We bought our filing cabinets and filed everything. So when artists say otherwise, we can show the proof just like Coxon did. Yeah. Coxon could always find the records. Yeah. Now, um, when she went into, no, no, let me put it in perspective. We decided to stop the session and record No, No, No track and gave her a mic and say, sing it because it had some odd changes. Yeah. Where it might have a two beat bar or something yeah. like that, or extra bar, sorry, yeah. extra bar. So we said, guide us, sing it. And we recorded the track and the vocal same time. When we sent her around to do the proper voice that we considered the proper voice, the feel was just not the same. Mm -hmm. And we ended up releasing the guide vocal. 
the guide vocal was a vocal release. Wow. And it was a Billboard chart hit. You know? It was one of the, the first cut was the deepest. Yeah. <laughs> the first yeah. cut. It the was same a, thing happened with, no. with it was number one in, a, in about seven or nine yeah. different countries. Come on. Yeah. And to date, it is still um, recognized as one of the, the greatest Steel and Cleaver productions. Absolutely. Success stories. So this, so, so, so this was independent of the, the Studio One project that you eventually did. Yeah, that gave birth to the Studio One project oh. because when we found that that was really a good project. Yeah. Because since the artists are in town or have been coming in for rehearsals and so for yeah. the studio and project, let us continue with this project and do a Steely and Cleave tribute. You know, so we did Steely and Cleave, play studio and vintage, yeah. Album, yeah. brought in the original artists for each song and re recorded the songs. I, I Not just as a matter of business. But yeah. also to bring, uh, I, we have always felt that a hit song can be a hit song anytime if presented to the new generation in a way dressed in the fashion of the day. Yeah, yeah. In that way. So we recorded it with the, 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 the sonic elements of current day recording, 24 tracks, unlike the original four track recordings or two track recordings yeah. at Studio One. We went bigger and better and we were able to fix things that there might have been a mistake back in the day. Yeah. We made a mistake. Everybody vexed with you <laughs> because everything was going on the same tracks yeah. uh, at the same time simultaneously. And um, we decided to um, try to capture as closely as possible the, the styling of the music, but with some sample elements and all that. So Steely came with the idea that we could put a sample on no, no, no. Yeah. And I said, you know, I think I might have the ideal sample. Having just got my drum machine that could sample, I started capturing some of the intros from some early recordings. Yeah. Because I was always fascinated with the, the toast before the beginning of a song. Mm. You know, they wake the town and tell the people, them kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So I decided to try that and the studio popped down. Everybody said, wicked, yeah. wickedest thing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if so you did a sample on it too, uh, it was yeah. like, yeah. no. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From yeah. when? From yeah. when? When? Of course, we owned that. Yeah. Now, sad to say that the song was released in 1992. Yeah. An error on the label. Dynamic Sounds put it out as you don't care. Yeah. That wasn't the title. Yes, you don't and love me. Also, and also, not throwing stones at anyone, but radio did not play it in Jamaica. Because well, they never played enough. Because I they never played enough. I used, you remember, you know, you remember I used to get the songs from you guys yes. before it even released. So I remember yeah. the first song that I played on that project was Easy Snapping. Ah, and yeah. we played and we played and we played and I played the, the no, no, no. But yeah. to, to, to be truthful, it never got the kind of earplay that 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 it, it, it deserved at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. it was wasn't until two years after. Yeah. When it hit the charts in the US. 
Yeah. A number of disc jocks started asking me for it. So where yeah. was a copy there? I said, check your box. Yeah, you got yeah. a copy two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what happened there. And um, you know, the rest is history, really. The song blew up big time. And, and gave Dawn new life. Even yeah. today, she's still doing that song on her shows. Yeah. I'm happy for her, you know, that yeah. she has managed to come out of that. This song has a very interest. A book should be done on that particular song. And maybe yeah. write a book on it because there's so much controversy and all kind of twist and turn. Because remember, you know, you remember that she did that song prior to you re reviving it. She did it for Jammies. She did it for shocking vibe, and I think she did it for uh, one more producer before mm -hmm. your version came around, you know. Which I didn't even know about yeah, until, man, after. In, in until fact, after. In fact, in fact, Jamis, Jamis have three different versions of it, because Jamis have one with her, him have one with Dennis Brown and Ken Boot, and then him have another one with with Don Penn, Ken Boot, Bounty Killer, and Dennis Brown. Okay. Actually, we played the track for Jamies. Ah. But, but Don wasn't there. Yeah. Don wasn't there. We weren't sure who was going to voice. Going to be on it. Okay. So we thought we were doing, we're the only ones to have had that re record. Yeah. yeah. So again, you say, you say the, the intrigue and the, 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 the repetition of the song and the covering of this, the one song. And with all of that, it's still after you guys did it. It mm -hmm. became a major, a major international hit song. Right. But you know what dawned on me then is mm -hmm. that the, the distribution machinery is a critical component to Absolutely. taking the song to the US yeah. charts, especially. Yeah. And thanks to Dylan Powell, a Jamaican. Yes. Anytime success happens anywhere in the world, you know, yeah. Jamaican is always at the team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Dylan Powell was the man who believed in it. Yeah. And so this song is can go far, you know, and, and, and the rest is history. Yes. And right. there was a gentleman by the name of um, Clive Davidson who also introduced us to someone at RCA. Okay. Who eventually um, took it to Atlantic and, and helped to, you know, he was the one who introduced it to Dylan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah. I have to also say thanks to Clive Davidson, who also gave me the sample, Wake the Town and Tell the People. Because uh -huh. he had a similar drum machine. Yeah. And had the sample, and you know, I decided to, to use it. But you know, I learned from I learned from a big error we made. Yeah. At the time when the song was released by RCA, I informed them, but not RCA, Atlantic. Atlantic. Big I informed them, having read my books years before. Yeah. I informed them that the song contained a sample from yeah. another um, producer. Yeah. And I, warned, I told them about it and asked them that, that they clear it, the sample. Yeah. You know, they never cleared it. And years after, it came back to haunt us where we were asked to pay a sizable sum mm. for the use of the sample after the fact because it should have been cleared before. Yeah. So the, the, the money that should have been earned from that song wasn't really the amount actually retained. Okay. Because we had to pay Virgin Records. Federal. Yeah, because Virgin had yeah. the master for yeah. Wake the Town and Tell the People. The people, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Also, it was good for Hugh Roy. God rest his soul. Yeah. Recently passed. It was very good for him in that. I think he might have made the most publishing from that song. Uh, more than the, the and, and, yeah, yeah. more than the studio one original. Absolutely. No, it was a studio one. It was, I think it was he did it. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right about that. Sorry, sorry. Yes. yes. I'm sorry. We're learning, we're learning some serious things here in Cleveland. <laughs> some uh, you know, our no. listeners, our listeners will be intrigued by this. Yeah, right. people looking on, you know, not knowing the full stories. Sometimes yeah. that oh, man, they hit that one, a big whole heap of money make. Yeah. Sometimes you don't know the litigations that might have taken place. Yeah. Also, with I'm still in love with you. Yeah. John Paul oh, and yeah. Sasha. Yeah. There was yeah. litigation there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, John Public yeah. don't know the full story. Yeah. And you produce that track too, right? Yes, yes. That's yeah. on on the um. Dutty Rock album, yeah, which went multi-platinum, you know. So, but it wasn't so simple. There were a lot of copyright issues. So I hope that I'll never make such a mistake ever again. Yeah, because we have we had gathered information, but some of the information wasn't so correct. Yeah, and Coxon again could send copies of contracts that he had. Yep, where. Artists might have stated otherwise, or the writer stated otherwise. Yeah. Found that yeah. The real big man, you know, well, would well, have an interview with the artist in question, and he admitted that he had signed the sign yeah. sign a contract, but never knew knew the ramifications of what he signed. Okay. is my good friend. Yes. His soul. You know, and 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 we had an interesting conversation that will 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 soon come out in 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 the form of a documentary or something like that. Okay, that's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So with with not having the full knowledge or um, getting the, the the assistance of an attorney to explain contracts that these artists had signed. Yeah. Sometimes they breach the contract, and. Um, I think that is what might have happened because persons sign with another company yeah. or termination of a previous contract. Yeah, so there are some very famous uh, episodes or incidents of that, even with Studio One. I won't go into some of them right now, but you probably know some of them. Yes. yes. So where where while, while signed to Studio One, artists went on to sign to other yes. labels yeah. Yes, and, and they were allowed to, you know. So as I said, you know, the half has never been told. A lot of artists now are talking about their career. I know they were robbed. I know they never get any royalties and all kind of things. And I, for one, as an insider, know some of the stories. And sometimes when I, when I, when I'm, when we're listening to these kinds of exchange our narratives and I would put forward a, a, a different position. A pe people that I know usually say, so why aren't the producers coming out and talk? Why well, don't say anything when, when, when the artists them uh, talk all kind of things about how them get robbed and that sort of situation without telling the true story? All right. In, in our case, 
um, artists who have worked with us might be able to attest to it. Those who have experienced that. Despite yeah. us having to pay for studio time before we own our own studio, yeah. there were some sessions where we took an hour off and sat down with the artists yeah. and brought some knowledge to them with regards to the various royalty streams yeah. and informed them that they had to be a member of a C the CMOs that yeah. um, manage those royalty streams. Yeah. Told them about PRS or JCAP yeah. and, and um, the different counterparts. And, yeah. um, you know, and um, yes, when, it was, when it was separate. PPL, PPL and yeah. that jams yeah. now and all that for other producers. Yeah. Yeah. And um, told them that it's not automatic. You have to grant that right for, of representation to the CMOs. Yeah. which are collection management organizations. I'm talking yeah. about. You know, so if um, you don't give them that right to collect on your behalf, don't believe that we are collecting your money. So over the years, some artists vex with us when them said they don't get any publishing from songs that they recorded with us. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a member of a society yeah. that handles that? Yeah. No. So why not? We only collect our part that we are due, whether yeah. it be 50% or whatever, for the music, because we are composers. One artist mad with us one day and storm out the studio say, no, them write their song. Why are it getting publishing on it? I said, did you make the music? Yeah. You came in here and heard our track. Yeah. And wrote something on our track. All of our tracks, when we learned better, had a name. Street sweeper, you know, yeah. um, you know, the different names that, that yeah. gave them names. So it's yeah. an instrumental having a particular name. Yeah. Understand? So um a lot of them learned from that exercise of us giving them the information that they need in order to collect the money or whatever. And then we also told them about the expenses, the method we use to calculate artist royalties is one option where you recoup all expenses and then you share the profit. Yeah, yeah. and it's just a percentage that they are going to get out of that. Right. What some artists money. fail to recognize. And, and all of it you're going to get. Right. What some artists fail to recognize when we put out a 45 those yeah. days. The flip side is not you. Yeah. The flip side is Steely and Cleavy. Yeah. So it's half of the whole, <laughs> yep. you know, so a lot of misunderstandings um, and ignorance yeah. out yeah. there. So we also encourage artists to know, use YouTube University if you want to. Yeah, there's information available, readily available. Yeah, and it can come to come to people like me, and I'll, I'll exactly right. So listen, we're going to talk about some of the rhythms, like you mentioned, the nine-night rhythm, the sweep rhythm, and, and you definitely, because you told me this once, that at one point you went back to the traditional sounds, the traditional music of mentor and, and, and pocomania and revival to influence you in, in bringing some of these songs. Just like you said, we call it now the Pokemon Jam tune. Where is it this call that one? China? Or what's that? Fish market. Fish market. So fish market and, 
and nine night dum 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 all of these rhythm almost add this kind of revival uh, Zion mentor kind of vibe what 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 inspired you to 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 go that route because it was extremely successful <laughs> um I, I tell you it's like we felt that the music needed a change you know it's sort of like um in the 70s going into 80s when um DJs became the dominant force at one time and then it just went back to singers mm -hmm. and then you end up having combination songs and so on as time went by i don't know if we got bored <laughs> we can't say that is bored we got bored yeah but steely and myself said we need something different something new just like the, the vast difference between ska rock steady reggae the different transitions and I think it's just a natural part of us, as I mentioned earlier, DNA, that we felt that beat. I felt that beat just in my heart. It's like it's part of me, maybe my Africanness. Yeah. You know, and um, it's not really that it came from Pokomania, because we're thinking digital now, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, Pokomania and all that is more organic. Mm. And the beat pattern is actually different as well. So a lot of those things, it still was a part of our DNA, mm -hmm. I might say so. That's the only way I can explain it, because yeah. I don't know where it came from. It just came. Yeah, It's like a gift. Yeah. Like God just said to us, this is for you. Noise is in the blood, man. Yeah, it's like... Um, both Steele and myself, you know, like people might think, yeah, we are very spiritual and God-fearing. Yeah. Know? And um, some I remember once some someone somebody called Jamis and asked if we were dreadlocks. And the person wanted to know if we smoke weed. Uh -huh. and, all that. and they were surprised when we said that we don't even drink beer. Yeah. Steely and myself were we kept ourselves pure. Yeah. But we never relied on any artificial stimulants mm -hmm. to get a vibe. Yeah. Some people rely, rely on it and it becomes a vice. Yeah. You know, they can't perform without drinking liquor or drinking so or smoking something. Now, with that openness and that freeness, I believe we could create anything. You know, if we wanted to copy something, we could. If we wanted to you know, do anything. We never relied on any form of, I don't want to say drugs, because not everyone would believe you know, in calling certain things drugs. Stimulant. Stimulant. Not no even stimulant. Coffee. No artificial stimulant. Just, not even coffee. <laughs> not even coffee. Not even <laughs> coffee. Right, really. We're going to talk about something now. There is um, a debate. As one of the persons who is can say you are one of the founding fathers of the dancehall style and genre, especially in the, the 80s and 90s. The we have recognized, I have recognized, and others have recognized, including yourself, that the music is evolving. And since the 2000s going down, the there's been a genre shift that has not been identified sufficiently. 
we now hear that people are calling it a different shift because the, it, the, the music has shifted about three different times within this time frame. But we're now, because they're now going back to the 808 and the, the, the sound, they are now affixing the, 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 the trap dancehall uh, label to it. But I remember in an article, like just a little after I wrote an article to say that there's a shift and we need to find a name for it. I, I call it one beat at the time and still do. You had in an article say, listen, what we're doing right now is not really dancehall in, the, in its pure sense. And what, what, what the musicians are doing, we need to give it a name. And now everybody now coming to that realization People like uh, Walter Fire is basically saying that we need a label. So it, yeah. it, it's taken us a long time to, 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 to identify it. And there is resistance. Um, what do you, what is your opinion? I, I am in agreement that it needs a, a name for itself. Yeah. It has so many elements of trap. Yeah. And um, that connection to trap really um it's it's closer than dance all it's yeah. closer to trap than close being than to dance all original yeah. format of dance yeah. Yeah. and i believe as um a pioneer of dance all or the, the actual creator of the beat that became dance all i do not accept it as dance all yeah what i'm hearing and um i think a name is needed you know, and if something isn't working on the international scene, that can really put food on the table. If it's not working to that extent, accept it and go back to the drawing board. You know, um, and, and don't have people thinking that dancehall and reggae music has now failed. You know, but because of, I tell you, the, the tech savvy generation doing the trap, they are able to get the things more visible than some of the older producers, like maybe myself. Yeah, you know, not as much, not as active on the internet, mm -hmm. you know, as the youngsters. You yeah, know, I'm a family man. You understand? Yeah, uh, of them have free time. We can do a lot on the internet now. Yeah, you know, couldn't even tell when last I went on social media, <laughs> which might be really bad. Yeah, but. I also believe um, we're not really here forever. And we should really leave room for the young generation, you know, to take over. But I don't, I'm not happy when I see something that doesn't have the same power and respect as reggae music and dancehall. I saw an article recently with um, even, um, what's his name again? Um, Oh, man. David Radigan. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And that article, I was really saddened, but, but it's, uh, uh, it's truth. He was speaking truth yeah. about um, reminiscing on the days when reggae music was reggae music and dancehall was dancehall yeah. and, and not being happy with what it has become yeah. from a foreigner's perspective. Yeah. You know, as someone who had um, supported the music for so many years, not being happy with that. I believe we need to go back to the drawing board, but the youngsters tend to look at 
those opinions as old people opinion. Yeah. But their peers who are the ones who might like what they are doing, not supporting the music in terms of spending. Yeah. You know? So how can you really make yeah. a, a successful career yeah. out of it? So they have to weigh all of that. And also, what does it mean for Jamaica and the respect that we had established over the years? Are we weaning in that direction? Or what do we need to do? Now, there are more players in the game than ever before in that um, it's so much easier to record a song now with the advent of technologies that can allow one to record a decent sounding song on a laptop. It is doable. Unlike some people might think, it is doable. If you have the software and good earphones, you can actually record a good sounding song on a laptop. With that being available, I believe we have more producers now than ever in the history of Jamaica, with jams alone recording over 1,230 odd producer members, you know, and jams represents the producers. So we have re on record how many producers as members, and there are still some out there who have We're not, not members. Not members. So you have to sift through, and under this, the, the, those tech savvy who managed to um, be able to get the thing, their music visible and being good enough will, will really um, maybe get some respect. Yeah. Maybe. But is it real business? Is it real business? Yeah. You know? <laughs> For me, um, I, I'm still having requests for samples to this day, my old music. Yeah. still being sampled. And um, most of the times when a successful overseas act does a reggae or a dancehall track, it is the old school. So that should say something. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's a great point because if you listen to the, the, the big stars, the Ed Sheeran, the Beyonce, right. them, they are going back to the old day. They are actually using dancehall beats. While we are in the one beat trap dance, right, 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 kind of vibe, because yeah. and and I, and I want to distinguish between what is now being called trap dancehall and that period where before the 808 sound sound emerged into our music, there was a period when it was not the 808 sound and it actually wasn't dancehall even that period. So I, 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 I call the entire period the one beat period with different trends in it. So you have the, the fusion hip hop type of stuff, then you have the trap dancehall type of stuff, but none of it can be labeled musically dancehall. And, and, and I don't blame some of the young people alone. I think some of our established older generation gatekeepers are guilty of this perpetuating this notion that dancehall culture will be the only culture in Jamaica for the rest of our eternity. And so you have notions of dancehall, can stall, and all of them stuff there. And, 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 and it don't bring into account that culture is always dynamic and moving. So I don't know why we want to stick to the, not the music and the culture. 
uh, and call it everything dancehall with technology and the kind of movement of youth. Now, it, it, oh, why would why would we call me and you come from the dancehall generation? Not true. Yeah, true. Oh, so our kids supposed to be dancehall generation too. Yeah, and the that thing is, you know, we don't want to stifle their their vision and their yeah towards creating something new. But you know that every genre, that if you want to call it that, as, yeah. as I mentioned, throughout the history of yeah. the progression of the development of music in Jamaica, all of the um, genres we have gone through, yeah, as women, the ska rock steady and so, yeah, had a fundamental pattern or styling or something that helped to define absolutely so i believe i am right i can define dance all yeah. and um what i am actually hearing i don't really regard it as dance all so it is important to not saying don't go there you know if you yeah. feel that do it if you feel what the, the trap influence dance all yeah. do it but if it doesn't work, be wise and try something else, you know? Yeah. And it just felt to me like that, that um, evolution that took place throughout the different um, periods in our development, mm. they never put enough of the, the, the elements that it was transitioning from yeah. in the new music. It moved too drastically away. I never kept enough of what made dancehall dancehall. Mr. Brownie, it's been a wonderful conversation. Well, we're not finished. <laughs> <laughs> this could go on and go on and go on. But, but I really it just felt like a conversation. You know, yeah, I, I just want to thank you for, for being a part of Echoes in the Bone. And uh, this is where we talk to interesting persons. And uh, basically when we talk, so people like yourself, we, we, we look at so many different areas like entrepreneurship, we look at technology, and, and Echoes in the Bone is about culture, technology, entrepreneurship, and we really covered that in this episode. So we really want to thank you and uh, say kudos to you for your contribution to the development of our music, and uh, more power to you, sir. Uh, thank you very much for having me, but I must mention one element of um, growth in our industry. Um, with the, 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 the formation of the CMOs in Jamaica, yeah. the amendment to the Copyright Act and things like that, we are seeing a bright future for the, the retention of certain royalties that um, might be due now and that what might be due for the future generation. Yeah. You know, the extension of the term of copyright and things like that. I have to thank the government for responding to that and also um, all those who joined together in pushing to have those amendments done and make use of it. You know, the CMOs are there for a reason. Become a member and secure your rights. You know, that's what I'm calling on the industry to do. Wise words mm -hmm. from the Legendary producer, Mr. Clevey Brownie, or Cleveland Brownie. Yeah, that's it. Famous Brownie Bunch, and of course, Steely and Clevey. Enough respect, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review 
and even drop us a comment if something really stood out to you.